Hi, I'm Adam Miller. And I'm Sarah Sweet. And welcome to Food on the Radio. Well, hello, Sarah. How you doing? Hey, Adam. Long time no see. Oh, I know. Trips and storms and weather and summer. And here we are. And fall is hanging over our head. I'm so glad. I just have to say, I know a lot of people don't like to celebrate the end of summer as much as I do. But today is like 65 degrees. There's crunchy leaves on the ground. I'm all about it. Not me. Nothing reminds me more of my advanced age than yet another summer gone. Now that everyone's crying into their car radios. (laughs) I know that wasn't very cheery. I'm sorry. It's beautiful. You're right. It's a lovely time of year. And I tell everybody who wants to visit me that the Outer Cape is best in the first two weeks of September. And that really is true. (laughs) It's the 100% best time. Pretty much from now until Thanksgiving. It's just... It my is my favorite time. No, it is. It is a really great time. Th- then, then you enter the tunnel of 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 winter. But we, we were not there yet. So let's focus on where we're at now. Exactly. Hey, you want to tell me what you made this week? What did I make this week? Well, let's just pretend it was this week. But this it could have been two weeks ago for all anybody knows. Uh, so I made a. Obviously- it could actually be a total lie for all anybody knows. <laughs> That's right. It could. But um, trust me, I actually made this. Not only did I make it, I think I the, the various times that I had company over, I made the same thing like three times this summer. Um, I must admit that I think the first time I was thinking about making it was because I saw it being made two versions of it, one being made on um, Lydia Bastianich's show and one, I think, on uh, America's Test Kitchen. And it was kind of, I guess, a variation of the Tuscan bread salad. But the one that I liked that I kind of ended up making, and it was really fun to make, is I made it with a as a kind of bread salad or puttanesca salad, is how I like to put it. And it's- Tell me more. Well, you know, you, it's just that the end of the summer, you get so many great tomatoes. And, and, I, and I love really nice, ripe, actual, like, you know, local type tomatoes. Um, I think I probably got them at um, Hillside Farms and um, they have these great yellow tomatoes. And then I, what I did to make it sort of like a puttanesca is I first, I just got some really, you know, rustic bread and toasted it. Although the first time I toasted it till it was black and had to redo it. Um, That sounds like you burned it. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I burned it because we always forget how quickly toasted bread and on a broiler goes from being nice and golden brown to charcoal briquettes. It's a very to being on fire. <laughs> yeah, it's a very short window, <laughs> uh, and I and I uh, had the window closed the first time, so to speak. So okay, so then I so I drizzled it with a little bit of olive oil on all of it, and then I just cut cubes of this bread, and then I toasted it. You can do it with stale bread too, and then I cut them into cubes, so it was like sort of like giant uh, croutons, tomatoes cut into maybe like you know half inch pieces. Um, uh-huh. When I want to be fancy, I blanch the tomatoes so that, and peel them, and maybe Whoa. You know, and sometimes I don't because you know you know it depends on how much I care about the person I'm cooking for. Um, oh, now the secret's out, people. Yeah, exactly. Beware! If you have an unblanched tomato at Adam's house, he does not care for you. That's right. That judges. That's why you can tell the level of my affection for you. Um, <laughs> then and then um, 
I had cucumber and olives and tuna. And in a few cases, again, just because of the season, I added fresh corn, uh, in which I will have a supplement to this recipe and saying that, yes, I here's how I make my corn on the cob. And it's been long enough since I've done this hack slash tip is this is one of the few times I use the microwave with the. Oh, husband. here we go. Corn in the microwave. Someone corn. call the police. Yes, you can call the police all you want, but I'm telling you. Three to three and a half minutes per ear. So if you put one ear, like it depends on how strong you think your microwave is with the husk on because the husk has enough water to basically steam the corn. Plus the corn itself has enough. You have to do they have to have been like dunked in water before you put them in? Absolutely not. You can just so if you have three ears of corn in your microwave, I tend to do it for about 10 minutes. They come out crisp but cooked and if you want to grill it then you just grill it for like a minute um just so if you'd like to have just that char feel um but i just so so that's basically the recipe and then i don't and then just olive oil a little bit of uh vinegar not that much salt and pepper um and finally some sort of fancy tuna like in a jar or the italian kind of like canned tuna and and so it's kind of that's why I say puttaneshka. You could do you could do any fish really. It, I mean, you know, but it, I do love that 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 taste of that kind of canned olive oil tuna. I drain the olive oil, but it's still. But you don't have to. You could just pour the whole darn thing in and break it mm-hmm. up. Um, and people just went nuts for it. It it was it was amazing how much people liked this salad. And I think part of it is if you have enough big pieces of bread. People just like eating the big pieces of bread. It just sounds like a tuna sandwich that you cut up into pieces like Legos and put in a bowl. It kind of is, um, but people are impressed with it. They don't think of doing it themselves. Um, <laughs> and they go, oh, this is salad is amazing. How did you do it? And it's like, like you do any salad, you cut some things up, you toss them and you put them in a bowl. So even though, but that's a really great for this, this season, you're still good at this time of the year to make this sort of thing. And it's kind of, you put capers in there. I do. Absolutely. Yes. You know, so if you don't like capers, don't put them in. So that, so that's what I made. And again, I've had variations of this. So one variation of it also had um, just chopped up some basil because it was just fresh and it was around and you can't go wrong. So that's it. What about you? It's been so long. You've probably once again made more than one thing. And maybe I'll interject something else I've made, depending on where we're at. Well, I made a birthday cake. But it's a birthday cake I've never made before, which I don't normally like to do as like a gift or for someone's birthday to like launch myself into something I've never tried or practiced. But when we asked my friend, my dear friend Kay had a birthday last week and we asked her husband because we had a small surprise birthday gathering for her just the ladies and we asked her husband what her favorite cake flavor was is and he said she likes chocolate cake but also cheesecake ah i'm so so. of course you could make a chocolate cheesecake or you can swirl cheesecake into brownie you know there's lots of ways to combine these two passions But what I did, I put a whole entire cheesecake in between two chocolate cakes. (laughs) Um, Like viciously decadent or something. It 
It was so good. I def I definitely Googled this and I did watch a video of someone else doing the same thing. And that person, luckily for them, had the same size cake pans and springform pans. So everything just fit really nicely. In my case, my springform pan in which I made the cheesecake was a little bit larger than the cake pieces. So I had to do some trimming, but this led to an exciting addition, which is I took off the edges, right? So I put the cheesecake inverted on top of the first cake, and then I cut the whole circularly around it, like right, the overlap, right? right. right? It to, to, to be flush with the other. Yes. But uh, then I took the remnant, which was the cheesecake part and the graham crackers, and I just mixed it into one thing and put that in a piping bag. And I used that on around the bottom of the cheesecake to form like a barrier wall in which I put raspberry coulis, which is like a thickened raspberry sauce. And then I put the last, the second chocolate cake on top of that. So I used the cheesecake kind of like a frosting and a layer by itself. Um, and then I frosted the whole thing with chocolate cream cheese frosting. Wow, a healthy diet treat. <laughs> Well, it was shared amongst many people, but I will tell you that I did a no-bake cheesecake because with so many components and the possibility of it not working at all or falling apart or being crazy, I said I'm not going to stress myself out baking a cheesecake. So I did the no-bake cheesecake, which is what I do at Thanksgiving. Listeners may recall my singing the praises of the pumpkin no-bake cheesecake, which is so Lip and delicious. But this was just a plain, I just made it plain, plain cheesecake, but I did it no bake. So you just really mix up the ingredients. There's no eggs in it and you just chill it over 24 hours is probably best for those. But it was, it was decadent. It was insane. And now cream cheese with the graham cracker crust inside it as a frosting is maybe my new favorite thing. <laughs> oh, so there was like a crunchiness in the frosting? Yeah, my cheesecake did have the whole like actual cheesecake crust to it, like the bottom layer. So uh -huh. that went in the cake. I just turned it upside down and put it on top of a cake. And then when I cut the edges off, I mixed that all together. So it was the crumbs and the cheesecake that just got mixed. It was kind of like, you know, like a Butterfinger blizzard. But so there was crunch to it a little bit. And then I put that in a piping bag and I made a a ring around the right. cheesecake, like a frosting barrier. But then I piped it around the outside as like the decorative um, piping around the edge of the of the cake. There wasn't like a, a race car sculpture on the top or something. No, I did the, and we do have pictures of this. I did the letter K for my friend K in chocolate covered sprinkles on top. And then she loves Halloween. So I made a strange sort of sculpture of marigolds from my garden and um a little skull <laughs> and some tiki umbrellas that sounds really cool and so you're going to post a picture and put that on the instagram absolutely you can check that out at food on the radio on instagram or food on the radio on facebook listeners what did you make this week Something strange, something delicious? Let us know. Send us an email at foodontheradio at gmail.com. That's why I say love. Oh, 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 love. love. 
Well, there's other things that have been made in this house over the last week that I need to tell everyone about. Go for it. Okay. I didn't make them, but I've been eating them. <laughs> um, Steph has started making his own hydroponic microgreens. This is as nerdy as it gets. 100%. Anybody that tries to make fun of me for loving Steely Dan, I will say my husband grows microgreens. Okay. <laughs> he's going on a mission to Mars. He's ready. He is. And he's doing it like in these little plastic trays. He puts the seeds in. There's this complicated um, system for what, not like a system, but a schedule for watering them. They get spritzed with a spray bottle. They're, they're cloaked in darkness. They're weighted down with a brick. And then he can tell now he's getting better at doing it at a certain point when the roots come through the like little mesh of the pan they're in. They go upstairs under the grow light. And I will tell you, he's done a couple. He's done ra the radish sprouts are beautiful and delicious. They have such a spicy zing. The broccoli sprouts, I'm not really a fan, but they he did those in a different style in a jar. But the ones that I need to tell everybody about right now that are so delicious are sunflower sprouts. They're sunflower seeds, just like you see them in birdseed or whatever. Right. And you like the black shell and everything. And he puts them in these trays and they grow. They are right now. I can see them. They are pushing up a brick. They are growing so heartily. They are wow. lifting the brick that is weighting them down. And so at a certain point, he'll take them and put them under the grow light remove the brick obviously and then in like two days time maybe three they are tenacious hardy little sprouts and they've like they've rejected the black seed cap that they were once inside and they're just so delicious they they somehow i know like when you eat sunflower seeds like you can imagine how those taste but these almost taste peanutty somehow there's just this really great nut flavor to these greens and they have been making our salads and sandwiches and basically anything our stupid toast that we make in the morning we put it on everything it's so delicious well when i get back into your kitchen you're gonna have to uh have a have a tasting of this um do well, you we'll give you a tour there's like a laboratory here and what he learned for anybody who's maybe struggling with microgreens at home is to be using ph balanced water because it turns out the water that comes from our faucet is like wildly not pH balanced. So once he figured that out and he got like a testing kit and he tested the water and then he's like, he has achieved pH balanced water now, these sprouts are out of their minds. They're just growing like gangbusters. So does that mean you're using tweezers sometimes in, in your cooking process? No, we are finger, finger sprout people. We just he make he'll get like a really great harvest and we just open up the container we keep them in grab them with our hands and put them on anything no tweezers needed would these microgreens become macro greens if you just let them grow like would they turn into i think lettuce? that makes sense but i'm not willing to find out because i want my sunflower microgreens every day well i don't have any additional things that i made this week that come close to being you know, something that might be in a science fiction movie or, or whatever. Um, and, and, but I, I did, I, I was thinking that there was some one thing that I had fun making to make a flatbread with, it was a complicated recipe of, of toppings. 
And I said, well, I don't really, they weren't even appealing toppings. I don't remember what they were, but I liked the idea because I had not tried it on a grill, which is to put pizza on the grill. And, but I said, no, I'm going to make like flatbreads, five, six, you know, five by eight inch sort of length, little flatbread things that I rolled out. So what I put on that was, I just made in my little mini Cuisinart, garlic, olive oil, parsley, salt and pepper. That's all. Grind it into kind of like a, a, a fairly thin pasty stuff. Um, and then just just drizzle that on. But the way I did it was, is I had that in a bowl. Then I put it on the, the hot grill, like 500 degrees. That's the thing you want to make sure of. Hot right. grill. Hot grill until until you can you can basically take your tongs, pick it up, and w- if your tongs can pick it up, it's cooked enough because it's not gooey, and then flip it, and then using a barbecue brush, just brush this sort of garlic parsley stuff on top so that it would then grill the other side. One of them I gr- I over grilled and it was a little on the char. This seems to be a, a theme today is my ability <laughs> to burn things. But it was such a simple topping and it was so good. I guess kind of Middle Eastern, you know, and that sort of with it wasn't super garlicky. You could do it with roasted garlic. You could do whatever. But that's what I made it with. It was really delicious. It was so easy. Everyone should try it. It was a lot of fun. When we're back from the break, candy corn ice cream, various olive oils and fish spatulas. You're listening to Food on the Radio on WOMR 92.1 FM in Provincetown, WFMR 91.3 FM in Orleans. The voice, the spirit of Cape Cod. You can also find us at WOMR.org. Over the many decades of our... um, of our of our show we do this thing we call like gross but not gross and i was thinking about this because this is partly because it's something you do but i don't really do uh which is make ice cream uh i was at i won't name the place but i was at a, i was at a uh, a local ice cream parlor not not local to the cape it was somewhere um oh near andover and i was going to get some sort of non-dairy ice cream that they had that and they make really good ones. And they had a little notice that said, try our special new flavor of the week. The special new flavor of the week of this ice cream store was everything bagel ice cream. Oh, delicious. Tell me it was so good. I wish I could. Um, and I even turned to the person who was serving and I said, is that true? You really made an ice cream with that flavor? And um, it was a young person, very young, maybe high school age. And she said, um, it tastes like gar. And then she stopped because <laughs> obviously she didn't want to complete the sentence. It tastes like garbage. Um, but that was obviously where she was going. And then she said, you want to taste? And she gave me a spoonful. And I eagerly uh, grabbed the spoonful, took a taste of this um, everything bagel uh, ice cream. It was horrendously awful. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I I I was so awful. I I I can't. I don't even understand what the base was of you know besides the various seeds and crumbs or whatever they put in it. Um, it wasn't really vanilla-ish. It wasn't, or maybe it was like vanilla-ish, but not with sugar. I I don't really know. Anyway, it was 
really awful. I asked them, I said, has anyone ordered this? And um, the the server kind of shook her head like, what are you crazy? No, no one's ordered this. That so, sounds, I mean, I would need to try it because I know you and I have very different tastes. So I might like that. You never know. And that brings me to my question, uh, isn't what you made last week, but what you've made in your life related to ice cream. Have you made any weird flavors of ice cream? I made corn ice cream one time and it's it's actually so so good it sort of just tastes like the milk from corn pop cereal after you've eaten the cereal it's this really lovely sweet corn flavor and you just you kind of infuse the cream with the corn and then you have to strain it out and i'm i'm i mean you could leave it in that's a whole different thing um for the mouth feel people out there who like a little crunch inside the smooth creaminess. I was straining it out the time I made it and I was making it in a very un-equipped um, kitchen at like a lake camp during a very hot summer. And I had to strain it through an old timey window screen. <laughs> but I think that the um, corn ice cream sounds delicious. I know that Jelly Bellies makes a corn <laughs> jelly bean and I love it. <laughs> it's one of my Ew! I hate jelly beans more than anything in the world. There are a lot of people that really um, sort of feel that that was almost criminal was when people realized that there were scientists that could make any flavor and then simulate pretty much anything and then just put it into a jelly bean. There's some people that think that that's kind of like blasphemous, that it should be. An jelly beans on their own are disgusting. Well, they're basically a ball of sugar, right? Of gelatin. Oh, it makes my teeth hurt to even think of a jelly bean. Well, you know, we are in the fall and uh, I'm one of these people who actually as a child and even today, I really like candy corn. Don't, don't say it. You're a candy corn guy. I am. It's horrible. Disgusting. <laughs> Wait a minute. Is there a candy corn ice cream? There's got to be. Oh, of course. I'm sure there is. Looking it up right now as we speak, you guys, this is live research on the radio. Candy corn ice cream, it is a thing. Oh, but there's a recipe for it. Adam, maybe you should make this. Candy corn ice cream sounds like something that I actually would probably not really care about having that much. <laughs> and the candy, candy, I can't let you go. All my life you're haunting me. I love you so. There is another aspect of the New York Times that they do now, which I really like, which is wire cutter. Um, we may have talked about this before, um, but it's their kind of consumer reports. Recently, they had a taste test of olive oils that you can just get. Ooh, I love all. Did they have Graza olive oil on there? That's my favorite. How perfectly timed can this be? So guess what they say is the number one recommended olive oil to buy in a grocery store. No. Yes, it is Graza Sizzle Extra Extra Virgin Olive Oil. I love them so much. They're such a great little company. I think all that olive oil comes, it's like made in Spain. And I first, I'm interrupting you, but I have to tell you, I ordered, I saw it online or something like in 2022 and I, I pre-ordered it and our, our order never came before we were leaving for California and I contacted them and they sent me a whole second order of it to where we were going in California. Anyway, they make great olive oil and they have awesome customer service. Yes. And they're from Spain. 
And I'm going to run out and get this because it sounds really great. And I'm seeing the picture and it has a great little squeeze bottle, which looks really cool. And it's funny because the other one they said uh, that was really good that they recommended was Cobram Estate California extrovert select extroversion olive oil and i buy that all the time and i really like that so we're just amazing olive oil people um (laughs) (laughs) well the internet helped me become an amazing olive oil person but i did i got there the graza they have a they have a kind that's like made more for cooking and then a kind that's more for like tasting as part of a dressing i think they call that one like drizzle there's like sizzle and drizzle. They're just, it's just so flavorful and you can really taste it. Cause I feel like a lot of the olive oils that I would buy before this or sometimes still do buy because hashtag inflation, it's just so expensive. So you just get like whatever weird kind is at TJ Maxx right, or whatever. Right. And it the taste when it's only on a salad, it's one thing if you're cooking maybe, but when you're trying to have it be part of a salad and you can really taste either how tasteless or how bad it tastes. It really makes a difference to have delicious quality stuff. And I think they're um, the Graza stuff is just, it lasts a long time. It has a high smoke point for the sizzling type. It's just delicious. Yeah. I, and I tend to, I worry about olive oil getting kind of old and rancid. So I tend to do smaller bottles and the, the, I mean, that's more expensive, but I do smaller bottles because I never know how long it's been. And I, so it's just better to do that. But what I, what's also important for people to, I think what they say is if you have not opened a bottle, you know, if it's still sealed that 18 months is pretty safe. And if you've opened it, I, I'm not sure, but it's not 18 months, you know, it's maybe like, maybe like a month or two. Um, It's not going to kill you. And when people say rancid, people think, you know, like horrible, it just doesn't taste as good. It's not, it's not going to, you're not going to enjoy it. It's not going to, it's not going to have the brightness and the, and the flavor it's supposed to have. Um, Some people do two olive oils. They keep one for cooking and one for drizzling and that sort of thing. So anyway, I'll post that again on the Instagram and Facebook, the link to the wider cutter article, because it was really good. And speaking of articles, I wanted to say that from a local point of view, I think that the I, I feel like lately uh, the Provincetown Independent has really stepped up their game in some of their food articles, and they had a oh they, yeah yeah they had they, they've had two things that were really interesting. Uh, recently, they had a great article about um, flounder. Or <laughs> I know that sounds really exciting, but hey, it's a food show. If you're not interested in a great article on flounder, you're probably not listening to a food show. <laughs> but they had a great article. I didn't really know that much about flounder. I'm not going to read you the article over the air. I'll just say go to it. It has an interesting history. It has a lot of ideas about how to make flounder and what the difference is between what people say. Like, for instance, I didn't know that Dover sole is actually a kind of flounder, but if it's not called Dover sole, it's not as special. It doesn't come from a special area and it isn't European, but there are a lot of things that are very similar to Dover sole um, that we think of either just like lemon sole or flounder. And there's more, it's actually more than one kind of fish, but it was a really good article. And it was more in depth and more well thought out article about food that I hadn't seen in a while in, 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 um, the province had independent. And then they had a really cool thing uh, about clam reefs or shell reefs. There's an oyster farmer who has an article. His name is Clint Austin and he's an oyster farmer and he's, he's building a shell reef for his oysters in Wellfleet. And it was just really interesting and cool. So, yeah. So I'm just saying support your local promise on independent. They do, they do some really great stuff. And um, I've really enjoyed having them be a part of our kind of info stream out in the outer Cape. 
Well, support your local flounder fishers too, because flounder is delicious. We used to have flounder a lot when I was a kid and it's just so delicious. If you're just sort of like with capers and you can prepare it really simply with just a little breading, like yep. pan fry or oven bake a little lemon. It's so fantastic. Yeah. And what I would say is if you like sort of like light white fishes like that, and I remember you were the one who told me this, and I'm going to pass this on as a sort of, once again, little tip. It is worth the investment to have a silicon fish spatula because for something like sole, something soft, you want something to go, they're longer, wider spatulas and they really work. And it's, some people think, oh, I got too many things in my kitchen. There are certain things you say you don't think you need. And I'm, and there's so many other uses for it that it's worth using. So go out and get yourself a good fish spatula. Well, thanks again for listening to Food on the Radio. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, but we are out of time. Bye, Sarah. Bye, Adam. Take a seat in the